0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events... The widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
1: Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide, the Athletics Columbus Blue Jackets podcast. This is Aaron Portsign of The Athletic, joined by The Athletics' Allison Lucan, who is there? Hello. And Tom Reed, who I presume is there as well? I am. Wow, this thing works. Uh, Al- Allison, this is episode eight already.
2: It is, in fact.
1: <laughs> They're piling up on us. Um, a reminder, if you're tuning into this or if you've tuned into it, it before and you enjoy this and think, geez, I'd like to read what these people have to say as well. Uh, if we got a deal for you, theathleticcom slash front and nationwide, that's front a and D nationwide, a free seven week, seven day trial, uh, along with a substantial discount to this, to these subscriptions. So try it there if you're not already part of it. If you are already a subscriber to The Athletic, well, we thank you very much. Uh, lots going on right now with the Blue Jackets. About a week away from the end of camp, um, six, ten days away from the start of the season. And the Blue Jackets roster is sort of starting to take shape a little bit. I don't think there are really that many big questions surrounding it, but they made 24 roster cuts uh, yesterday, getting them down. Uh, to 34 players. So they've got 11 guys to go. Ryan Murray uh, is injured, a groin injury. So maybe they only have to make 10 cuts uh, from here to the start of the season. Uh, so that'll that's going to play out here. There's three exhibition games left, including tonight in Clinton, New York, where the Blue Jackets take part in the NHL's Kraft Hockeyville, Uh, game, the annual game. They're playing the Buffalo Sabres, so this should be uh, a fun night tonight. I'm here uh, in Syracuse, New York, about ready to head over to Clinton, and um, hopefully we'll capture the scene there. Um, The the news that sort of popped in the game on what would it have been Sunday, just noticing different stuff and different people in different spots on the bench, and, and indeed, the Blue Jackets have made John Tortorella specifically has made a change with his coaches. Um, typically, you just change coaches in the NHL, but the Blue Jackets have swapped coaches. Where now Brad Shaw, who has coached the defense in Columbus for the last couple of years, is now coaching the forwards. And Brad Larson, who has coached the forwards for the last four years, is now coaching the defense. So no matter what position you play, your coach's name is still Brad, <laughs> but the uh, this is an interesting thing, and I, I want to get initial thoughts from the two of you. I made a couple of calls around the league yesterday saying, how weird is this, and got some interesting returns. I think most people think it is rather peculiar and curious, uh, and, and maybe I'll touch on some of that as we move along here, but initial thoughts from, from the both of you, and we'll start with, with you, Allison.
2: Yeah, I I am put me in the in the curious and skeptical camp. Um, We listened to Torts explanation yesterday, and, and you captured that in your article as well. And I get it. I get what he's going for. But from I mean, if you think about this like a business, particularly one that is highly, highly, highly results oriented, I think that disrupting communication could have an impact, not just on the ice, but I'm also curious to see how this plays out for the coaches themselves. If if they're still working with their traditional sides of the ice away from the game, is this going to be more time pulling clips? Is this going to be more time trying to digest the game from the other side of, or the other point of view, if you will, after a game is over because you can't be focusing on if you're Brad Shaw you can't be focusing on things you want to talk to the defense about in game anymore, right? You need to be focusing on a different set of responsibilities. So, um, I, I am interested to see how it goes. I think what is, uh, curing back. My concern is that we know that Torts has shown in Columbus that whether it's a sign on the wall or a a methodology, if something isn't working, he is willing to go back. Um, so, that's where I stand 24 hours later.
1: Tom, anything?
2: Uh,
3: it's it's certainly intriguing. Uh, you you don't see it happen very much in the NHL, if, 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 if at all. Uh, I, I don't know, Aaron, were you able to, in talking with people, were you able to figure out if it, it had happened somewhere else before this?
1: Nobody that I spoke to recalls a perfect switch. I mean, yeah. there are coaches who have coached, um, defenseman for a time and then have moved and coached forwards. Uh, if you coach in the minor leagues, you coach everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, it's not like I didn't speak with him, but, but Rick Walmsley, who used to be the goaltending coach here in Columbus at one point during his time with the Ottawa senators was a bench coach and coached. I think he was coaching the defenseman in Ottawa and they were pretty good those years it wasn't you know there's there are Ottawa jokes to be written right now uh this wasn't that and then you know and I think that raised some eyes but that was one guy changing what he coached uh it wasn't just flipping two guys you know and that I think that's what that's what stands out here is the the perfect swap
3: yeah it's I, I think I yeah I, uh, I, it is unusual there's no question about it and it's uh it, it's one of these things I'll just have to Watch to see how it plays out now towards, of course, since he's been here, has been this guy that has, has in some ways kind of, um, kind of changed things. Uh, you start with the, you know, he, he came in here and probably arrived here with this whole idea of, of everyone kind of remembers him with the Rangers as this shot blocking defensive coach that tried to win games two to one in the playoffs. And then he reverts back to his old days in Tampa, of the whole safe is death. We're going to get everybody up on the play. Uh, so he's, he's, I think what he's done is kind of in the later parts of his career showing a willingness to tweak systems and we, or, or change styles. And we really saw that with uh, the idea he's really proposed morning skates, which for 80 years has been the standard or however many years has been the standard. You have to have a morning skate. Well, no, I don't have to have him do anything. I'm not going to have morning skates. So this is just another, I, to me, it's a, another something that he wants to try. Again, I, I. it is a little surprising, but I will say this, most of the players have been here for a couple of years. It's not like you're, you're working with a bunch of young, really, really young players who haven't played on the team. So I think that they'll find, I think they figure out a way. I think the oddest thing is that when you look at their two special teams, that would have probably been more of a, you know, they're they're still, both guys are still coaching their special teams, correct? Correct. Correct. If, that would have been, a, if anything, that have thought, well, maybe they're going to just change it up because neither special team was great last year. That would have been one to go. Oh, oh, okay. Well, let's see what they do. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, it's, it's interesting though.
1: Yeah, that's a good point about the special teams. I think I've I've found it like. Interesting, at least, that Brad Larson, Brad Larson just gets killed uh, on on Twitter because the the power play is has been so, eh, for so long. The penalty kill was horrible last year, right? It wasn't any better. And somehow that doesn't get – that's not in for the criticism as much as the power play is. Um, but that's an interesting point that they could have – they wanted to make a change. I could have swapped that. Um I'm talking to the people biggest like, wasn't Shaw coaching the forwards. It was Larson coaching the D and that's not because of Larson and it's not really because of Shaw either. It's because of the, the difficulty of teaching that position. And apparently that position is more difficult to teach than forward. Um, the gaps, the angling, all of these things. They're, You know, the, that was the biggest thing, like, man, I I can see a guy. It's like like a guy going from center to wing. It's harder to go from wing to center. It was the thought that like, boy, that's going to be a challenge for a guy that's never played the position to teach that position. Um, And so that, that's something that, that you kind of keep your, your eyes open for Um, a few people have, have asked, like, is, is this the same say as a baseball team, making the pitching coach, the hitting coach, and the hitting coach, the pitching coach. I don't think it's that dramatic at all, really. Um, those are two, base in baseball, those are two entirely different principles. And batters don't hit, uh, or sorry, batters don't pitch. And only in half the league do pitchers bat. Right? So it's like, that, that to me, the, this is still skating with a puck on your stick. Um, but it's the, the very finer points of the position that I would I would worry about. Expertise matters, especially at this level. like There's a reason Bradshaw is a great coach of defensemen, is, is considered across the league a very, very good coach of defensemen. It's because he's played the position and coached the position for a long time. He knows, A, how to teach it, but B, the ins and outs of the position. And this isn't anything against either of those guys. It's just that this isn't the... Expertise that they have crafted over the years through their play and their work. That's the stuff that, that I worry about. And to Wierenski's point, yes, Brad Shaw will still be here and still watch. And if he sees something with the defense that he can fix, he'll help fix it. But you're not paying that close attention if you're if you're also... Um, so I just those are the, the sort of the hard tack points that I wonder about. Am I crazy,
2: Allison? No, I mean, that's that's exactly what what my concern stems from. You know, I think it's 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 an ask of the players and of the coaches. It's an ask of the players to perhaps do a little more self-coaching and the, the coaches to not be able to do as much. And, you know, while these guys do know all the coaches and things like that, you know, it's. That you could discuss the the validity of going through the whole storming and norming of creating a team and an open communication level in the 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 sense of urgency that is life on the bench in the middle of a game. That you know, if they can get through that, that that'll be great. But there's there's some communication bridges that have to be built there as well. And and what you just illustrated is is what what my concern stems from for sure.
1: I say like, Kenny McCutton coach the goaltenders. What the hell? <laughs> Why not? I mean, although they did get a bit of a different voice with Manny Legacy. Uh, correct. Yeah.
2: yeah. This,
3: this is uh, – we had talked off air, Aaron. This is this is not as uncommon in the NFL. Correct. In the NFL, this, this does happen where guys will switch sides of the ball. It's, it's still not – I don't think it happens a lot, but we'll just use the Browns coach, Hugh Jackson – um, as he came you know he's always been an offensive coach uh when he became head coach of the raiders for one year then got fired there uh cincinnati where he has enjoyed his most success rehired him as a special teams defensive backs coach uh which he's never played uh but did it for a year and then ended up going back on the offense so it happens a little bit in the nfl but still it, it doesn't happen a whole lot
1: yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see, and, and Torch was clear, Allison, you mentioned this earlier, that they may go away from this. I got the sense, I think we all did, from speaking to players that some were curious, some were doubtful, some were like, what in the name of God are we doing? Like, why are we creating this? I'm not tired of his voice. Like, I, yeah, some guys were shaking their heads like, sure, all right, let's try it. Um
2: and, and what's interesting, too, is that—and this is something that, obviously, knowing me, my ears perked up and is something to dig into, but it was interesting that Torts' focus didn't seem to be—and this is fine, this is no good or bad thing—in the switch wasn't so much the play of the respected sides of the ice, the forwards versus the defensemen. It was in the transition game, Right. right. So if that's the impetus— it's interesting and again i don't know that there's a right or wrong way but it's interesting that instead of changing what the existing person coaching that role does that you change the person yeah and and what what is what is it that could be executed better i mean he mentioned a couple ideas and it's something that we all know in my nerddom i like to keep track of throughout the year but it's interesting that that's the reason and that the solution he sees right now is the switch. So I'm just curious to see how it all plays out.
1: Yeah, and, and I have to think that there's something beyond this, behind this, other than just for sure a different voice to the players. Like, and and I wonder if there is some, if he thinks Brad Shaw can take the neutral zone better than Brad Larson has. Right. Like, and he mentioned the neutral zone. He really wants Shaw to take a look at look at the neutral zone. That that just stands out to me as as well. If we're going to give him that part of the forwards, why don't we just give him the forwards? You know what I'm saying? I that that, right. that stuck with me, and I again I, maybe he doesn't want to. I get it. He doesn't want to crack on one of his coaches. Typically, they they make changes if they don't like the way something's being done, rather than just swap the coaches. So that that just makes this rather peculiar to me. Um, anyways, let, let's. A branch into this if we can it's a little of an extension these coaches really have and this hasn't really settled in yet with the players because there hasn't been um, enough games really i think they've only worked two games as a staff behind the bench the rest of them went to the the minor league staff and and torts set up above in the first few games now they'll get back to um after tonight because larson stays behind in columbus to work with the players there t- for today and then Torts and Shar behind the bench tonight here in in uh, Clinton, New York. Uh, and the final two games will have the full staff, so that's when the players will get uh, you know sort of a full taste of of that, and it'll actually be really close to what the Blue Jackets team is going to look like. How concerned though should we be? Should people be? Should the Blue Jackets be by the rather um, shitty play in the preseason? <laughs> Why mince words? It's been awful. Um, Seriously, who has looked good? Like, at at some point you say, well, you know, boy, they're really tired from all the skating that they've done. I'm going to assume other teams do skating, too. Nobody's looked good. Has anyone looked – I mean, there has been some guys – you go Dubinsky. You you know what? Dubinsky looks better. Uh, Boy, Foodie can skate. Yeah. Who's looked good, though? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah,
2: I was gonna say that's an intentional pause.
1: (laughs) I mean, are are you guys with me here? Is it? It is preseason. Yeah, ho hum. It's preseason. But Bob is just bleeding goals. Um, Corposalo hasn't been great. Uh, I mean, you know, it's preseason. Whatever. But no one's like Riley Nash hasn't looked awesome, and not that he does look awesome, but he hasn't. Even in games where, even in games where you think, well, you know, case in point, let's just stick with this one—the the Blues game on Sunday. That is, those were the St. Louis Greens. <laughs> there were so many young kids in that lineup. I think they had four like regulars and two guys that barely qualified for the for the roster limit to get them in. Columbus should have at least played well in that game, and they got housed by a young blues team. Am I making am I thinking too much about this or no?
2: Tom. Um
3: you know, I don't I, I really don't put too much stock into what guys do in the preseason. Didn't the, the didn't the Blue Jackets the year that uh, they lost their first eight game have the greatest power play ever made in that preseason? Aren't they like hitting it like sixty percent or something? And, and they won the back.
2: preseason, yeah.
1: Right, and that was that was the the Felino johansson sod line, which was the best line in hockey that never played a game together.
3: And how did they start that season, Aaron?
1: Uh, they started the season 0-8 with two coaches at that point already. Okay.
3: Yeah. All the way for the regular season. I'm
1: talking individual performance. I, your point is well made. I'm just, God, you wonder... If, We've talked about there being a, a Paul cast upon this team because of Panarin and Bobrovsky. I don't think it's there yet because this team isn't together. I just at some yeah, point, it would be nice to see somebody look good. Yeah. Somebody. Well,
3: I, I Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I think the, the last – really, I, I think you take the last uh, couple games. Friday's game, when Pittsburgh – we'll see what kind of lineup Pittsburgh Ice is. but uh, – that could be a, a a good you know the last I, mean, I think the last one or two regular two or maybe the last two or three games and you start to look at they're still if they still look really bad then maybe there's some concern i and think just, the first just, four four or five games are just whatever a lot of these veterans just don't want to get hurt they just getting I through just, it
1: like my just like T- Torts mentioned the sloppiness yesterday he's right, right. horribly sl- sloppy yeah they were what bugs me, though, is like you've got all these guys where you're like, oh, you know what? He's got a chance to make this team. You know, Zach Dalby, nothing. Nothing. Uh, Marcus, has Marcus Hannah kind of blown anybody away? Has he been like super noticeable in practice? No, I haven't really noticed him. There's all these guys where like, – maybe it's just how the game has changed too, but training camp used to be like the guys that the young guys would push like hell and the guys that were in the bubble – would work their asses off to earn that last desperate spot. I don't feel any of that this year in the practices or the games.
3: No, that's a fair point. Uh, that That is a very fair point about practices and stuff like that. You just don't sense a lot of, and again, early on, it's, it's so much as the volume of skating. Sure, but sure. Uh, uh, the, yeah, I would not say, and the, I think part of it, is is that that the lineup is so set? It's just a matter of who's going to play with who. But right. still, right. but still, you would think that there would be a little bit more of a push from some of the younger guys uh, to to make the to to, to win that last yeah. roster spot. I mean, especially at, at the defensive core, which remains very unsettled. I mean, we think we know who the guys are going to be, but uh, yeah, it's just it, it, you're right. It, it, it's been a little. Uh, Kind of a very quiet training camp as far as on the ice, and and you're not you're not wrong about how they've performed. I, I was at the game, uh, the St. Louis game the other day, and that was that was that was poor.
1: That was I mean, poor he, he would like to see Gabriel Carlson play better in that game.
3: Yeah, Bob wasn't good. I mean, Bob it wasn't good. Role. Bob Bob was not good at all.
1: No, Carl did not make a statement for himself in the positive. He may have made a statement for himself, but it was not the positive, in my opinion. Yeah,
3: no, no, it's fair.
2: Well, and and isn't this, I mean, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain to try and remember the year, but remember the big lesson, apparently, was you can't just wait and flip a switch right. when the clock hits zero. And And I think that's, I, I'm going to hang my opinion on tonight, because I think we're seeing closer to, a real lineup. It's a nationally televised game. There's a lot of attention to it. You want to represent, right? You don't want to just phone it in, in a situation sure. like this is my opinion. So l- let's see what the boys do tonight. But you know, that that's kind of been my concern. I, I can buy into the whole it's training camp. You don't want to get hurt. We're ramping up We're tired, but at some point you have to be the team you say you're going to be when that clock starts at zero and starts running and this is the first time in a while i think we've seen maybe that disconnect from what we say we're going to see opening night and what we're seeing in practice and preseason games
1: yeah to me it's not so much the collective suckitude it's the individual (laughs) malaise that's just like yeah whatever like you know you expect that from not that we've seen it but you would expect that from guys that are totally Set Like, you know, is Boone going to make the team? Well, hell yeah, he's going to make the team. Foligno? Sure. Cam Hackens? Sure. And those guys have been fine, whatever. It's just the I don't sense the desperation among some of the people who I think ought to be desperate. And that that's usually what camp, that's usually what has driven camp, right? That That's what's gotten the guys into it that know they're secure. And that's just been kind of disappointing for me. And I might ask Torch about that this morning after the Morning skate, because I, I sense that's there with him as well. Uh, injury news, uh, well, positive injury news. Two things: Artemi Panarin is back in full go. He made his debut, uh, his preseason debut on Sunday. Zach Werenski seems to be all signs to the positive too. He, let's see, is going to play, plans to play uh, Friday in an exhibition game at home against Pittsburgh. And it's kind of strange. He said if if that goes really well, then he probably won't play Saturday. If it doesn't go well or if he doesn't just feel comfortable with his touches and his timing, then he'll probably play again Saturday in Chicago. That will be left up to him. All of this is good news because it means that, that he appears to be on course for the October 4th opener against the Red Wings. So good news on both of those fronts. Uh, not so good news on, on Ryan Murray, who – took a beating in the game last Tuesday, took a big hit along the boards um, whew, by Brandon Davidson of Chicago. I mean, flat against his back, pretty noticeable, and looked like he was moving a little slow from that. But then shortly thereafter, got kicked in an unfortunate spot, we'll say, and apparently has sustained a, a bruise in the where sort of the – uh, let's just say groin. Let's say groin. Uh, and it's going to be a couple weeks. So he's probably not going to be ready for opening night, which um, opens up a spot. Tom, you wrote a piece that's just posted on The Athletic about Marcus Tavara. You'd have to think he is the guy who slots in next to David Savard. But now what do you do on that third pair? And who are you missing about right now, Tom Reed? What what decision is starting to look a little...
3: Hmm. Well, there's no question. You have you, you mentioned, of course, the, the big news that hangs over the entire season is uh, Panarin and the uncertainty of Panarin and Bobrovsky. But I think the most immediate story is the loss of Ian Cole. I think Ian Cole's uh, decision to go to Colorado and the Blue Jackets not apparently not willing to pony up additional funds to keep him here. Is the thing that to me is one of the biggest stories on camp. I mean, you you went from having you, what you knew were two solid pairs to, you know, even even t- even yesterday uh, when we talked to John Tortorella, he still kind of kept open. Well, maybe we maybe we end up splitting up, you know, uh, Renski and Jones. Although I still don't think that's going to happen, but just him talking about it because they're not sure what they're doing, and that's a you know again in. Not to not to read it all too much into the preseason, but you know Gabriel Carlson, one of the guys I think they're kind of counting on, hasn't looked great, yeah. uh, and it, these these are the type of things that do concern you because he fit in Cole fit in so well. He he was such a mesh in that locker room, and I my guess is he could fit into any locker room. But he, the players really liked him. He played really well. He formed a good partnership with with Savard, who now will. No matter who he's playing with, is going to be much different than his last two partners, okay. Jack Johnson and um, and and Ian Cole. So he's going to have to adjust. You you just miss Cole to begin with, and then what do you what are you going to fill that in? How are you going to spackle that in? I think it's going to be really interesting to see how how quickly they can adjust. And I think they really are counting on Devara. It's amazing where this guy has come in two years from. Aaron, you and I both—I think we can both say on the air—is like, wait, Marcus Nieuwoudt is making the team two years ago to last year. He wasn't even here at the start of the season. He was in the minors. Right. To by the end of last year, was playing so well that Jack Johnson couldn't get a sniff in the playoffs. So they are now hoping that he can take that next step and maybe become that number four defenseman. That that remains to be seen. But uh, in talking with uh, former defensive coach, Brad Shaw, yesterday about him. Uh, he, Brad Shaw admits that he's, he was guilty and the staff was guilty of putting limitations. They did not think Nudevara could handle the physical play of top lines. And now they're just like, you know what? He's shown that he can do it. He can think the game. He's He can make really good passes to get himself out of trouble. So I think right now he does, at least initially, Looks like he would be
1: on that second pairing. They have no choice, do they, Allison?
2: No. I mean, and, and you know, I talked a, a couple episodes ago, I think, about why I like Nudie with Savard. And, and I, I'm I'm taking to calling Nudie Rover Light, right? Because I, I I feel like there have been flashes of seeing him play with that bridle off. Uh, you can see him being a little bit more aggressive. And, and it's... You have to put him there, not only because I think it's a good match, but also, in theory, Ryan Murray returns to the lineup soon, and and he needs to anchor that third pairing. Um, Because I don't know that unless they split up Jones and and Wierenski, you've got to have some solid play on each of those pairings, and and that, in my opinion, puts Murray on that third pair.
1: And Tortorella mentioned unprovoked uh, yesterday the possibility of splitting up Jones and Wierenski, too. I mean— Nobody I, – I, it has been interesting that they've kept trying different people next to Jones, and a lot of that's just training camp stuff and need a body up there. Um, and it's been – Wierenski's been hurt too, but I think that it's given them a little bit of a glimpse. Hey, there's Nudie next to him. Um, yeah. uh, some other people. I think Kukan's played next to Jones a little bit too. So
3: Was it last season when maybe Wierenski was out of the lineup, Allison? Nudavara played up and didn't play poorly. Uh, there was a stretch with, I don't know if it was, who was out well, One of the two.
1: Well, Werenci. Werenci Werenci was, was out in out. December. Yeah, he missed like three or four games. I think they were resting his shoulder.
3: Yeah, and I, I thought, I, if I remember, Nudovar got a crack and played pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I think, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think it's set in stone that he's going to play, but I, I would not be surprised if he ends up getting that first crack with Savard. To uh,
1: start the season, yeah. So you know, you say t- this is the first glimpse of what it looks like if Murray's hurt, and uh, the poor guy has been hurt uh, a quite a bit. It, it, you're, it's down now to you've got Carlson, Kukan, Harrington, or what? Clendenning maybe as the as the four guys battling for the for the third pair at this point when the season starts uh unclear if they keep 13 forwards in 8D or 14 forwards in 7D um I, you can make an argument for 13 and 8 the way that things have gone on the back end just to find a fit there uh so that will do it for us i think we've prattled on quite a bit here um thanks to david cook at david cook music for the opening tunes and the walkaway tunes thanks for allison for pasting this whole project together uh tom reed thanks for being with us no problem. And Allison, thanks for being here.
2: Anytime.
1: And we are off to Clinton, New York today to to uh, watch the Blue Jackets play the Sabers. Thanks for listening, folks. We will be back with you again on Friday. Talk to you soon.